0: Merry Christmas, Emmanuel. God is with us. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to a couple of places this morning. I invite you to turn to Exodus 19, and we're going to look at just a little bit of that, and then Matthew chapter 1, and then Hebrews chapter 12. So if you don't get to all those places, that's okay. But uh, we're going to kind of read a little bit from each of those passages. Exodus 19. Matthew one and Hebrews twelve. Uh, again, just Merry Christmas! This is a special Christmas for Whitney and me. It's neat whenever Christmas falls on a Sunday. Uh, it's kind of rare, of course. We get to celebrate Christmas with our church family, and so it's a, a joy to get to do that uh, this morning. Uh, you are just very dear to, to me and my family, so it's it's neat to be able to do this together and uh, celebrate the birth of our Lord together on on Christmas Day. Also. Whitney's family is with us. Her mom and dad are with us this weekend, and it's kind of rare to get to be with our our, um, biological family as well. And so we're we're glad to be able to to do that, and just hope that this is a great uh, day for you as we worship the Lord together. As uh, Mark mentioned in his prayer, appreciate that Uh, we are looking at this idea that we kind of began looking at last night that we couldn't get there, so he came here to bring us to there, and Kind of three parts of that. We couldn't get there. We couldn't get to God. He came here to bring us to there. And we're going to look at a a passage that goes with each part of those three phrases. And we kind of looked at the first one last night. So we're not going to spend as much time as there in that passage. We looked at the second one a little bit last night too. We won't spend as much time there. Really focus on that last part what it means that He brought us to there, that He brought us to Himself. But if you're able to this Christmas morning, if you would stand with me as we read God's word together, I'll begin in uh, Exodus 19, as we think about this idea that we couldn't get there, the separation that existed, and then Matthew 1, he came here, then Hebrews chapter 12, which kind of looks back on Exodus 19, how, how he brought us there, what, did, what has God brought us to? Matthew, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 19, Greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits round the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. And so Moses went down to the people and told them. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, and you may be seated. Uh, I'll read this. Matthew chapter 1. and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. And then Hebrews chapter 12. There's a reference made back to Exodus 19. What have we been brought to Hebrews 12, verse 18, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words may the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they cannot endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches a mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you, you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Let's pray. Father, again, along with uh, your saints, I just would beseech you here that you would Allow us to know you, to understand you, to be with you. We thank you for you with us, Emmanuel. We we thank you for your son, Jesus. We trust in him and we pray this in his name. Amen. A few years ago, someone showed me a a clip on YouTube of a scene from a a movie with Will Ferrell. They said they they felt like this, this clip from this movie really kind of brilliantly sums up a lot of Americans take on who God is, who Jesus is. And the the clip was from a a scene in a movie in which Will Ferrell played a race car driver and kind of plays this egotistical buffoonish character. So kind of a, you know, a typical uh Will Ferrell uh part. And the scene that this person showed me was a a scene of Will Farrell and his family around a table, he's getting ready to, to say the blessing for the food, and he begins his prayer with these words, he says, dear baby Jesus, dear Lord baby Jesus, and then kind of continues his prayer, and the, the people at the, the table kind of are a little taken aback by this, and they say, you know, you can't pray to, to baby Jesus he grew up, and Will Farrell says this, he says, hey, um, when you say grace, you can pray to whatever Jesus you want you can pray to a grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus. I just kind of like the baby Jesus. I like Christmas Jesus the best and so I pray to him. He talks about how he just I just love the idea of him all wrapped in the, the blankets and his little baby fists and how cuddly he is and I thought, you know, that scene really does brilliantly sum up how we approach Jesus in in North America oftentimes. We kind of say, okay, what type of Jesus do I, I want to worship? And then we kind of fashion ourselves a Jesus like the one that we want to worship. So it could be baby Jesus, it can be the, the you know, another type of Jesus, but Christmas Jesus seems to be a Jesus that many people are, are most comfortable with. And as we mentioned last night, sometimes people are, are comfortable with this Christmas Jesus because they kind of picture this Christmas Jesus as this frail. Helpless little baby that, that really uh, poses no threat to their desire to continue to live their life the way that they, they want to live their lives. It's helpless, this, this tiny baby. But, as we mentioned last week, that's not the right picture of Jesus to have. What does the writer of Hebrews tell us in, in the very beginning of, of Hebrews? He writes, In these last days God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And so even frail Baby Jesus is a, 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 a God with is the God with, with great power, who is upholding the universe by that power even as a human being. As we talked about last night, in, in the Christmas story, it's not baby Jesus who's helpless, but it's, it's you and I who are helpless, and Jesus came because you and I are helpless. We, again, are thinking through that, that statement, We couldn't get there, so he came here to bring us to there. You and I were helpless, unable to bridge the gap that existed between ourselves and God, so God came to us to bring us to here. And let me just kind of remind you a little bit of of what we're kind of unpacking here. Here's the first statement, we couldn't get there. We couldn't get there. We see that in Exodus 19, and we see God's holiness and our sinfulness. Moses tells the people what the Lord has said to to consecrate themselves. We see the need for them as they even think about coming near to God to prepare themselves as they encounter him in his holiness. And they're they're warned not to touch the mountain, not to go near it. There's boundaries set around the mountain so they they won't come too close to it. And they see that coming to God is a fearful thing. There's a, a trumpet blast. There's there's thunders, there's lightning, there's this thick cloud, the people of the, in the camp tremble. There's this warning that's given to the people, hey, don't, don't, even, don't even come near, don't break out, or, or the Lord will break out against you. And so there is a, a physical separation between the people and God. And this, this physical separation exists because there's also a, a spiritual separation, and there's nothing that you and I can do in and of ourselves to bridge that gap. There's nothing we can do to to physically approach God in and of ourselves. There's no way that we can spiritually be justified in coming before God in and of ourselves. We couldn't get there. Then, as we began to talk about last night, he came here. We couldn't get there, so he came here. What do we see in Matthew? In fact, it's, it's interesting I love how Matthew begins this gospel. As you look at the first verse of Matthew, so much theology is is packed into a, a single verse. It says, it begins Matthew chapter 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And as you and I have been going through the Pentateuch, hopefully we understand a little bit more of the richness of what this verse is telling us. Who is it that that came here? It's it's he, it's it's God, it's God the Son. And and what does verse one tell us about Jesus Christ? It says, Well, he's the son of Abraham, he's he's part of this covenant that God made with Abraham to bless the nations through his descendant. He's part of this this plan that God had that he affirmed with David as he made the covenant with David, saying that. David would always have a descendant on the throne, that there would be this eternal throne that would be a part of David's house. And, and Jesus is that. Jesus is part of this Abrahamic covenant. He's the fulfillment of that. He's this king who's going to reign as the son of David. He is the, also here we see in verse 1, he's, he's Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. He's the Christ, which means he's the Messiah, the anointed one. This is who Jesus is, and he came here, as we talked about. Last night in those verses, eighteen, beginning in verse 18, we see this, this reality that Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save sinners because sinners can't save themselves. He came here so that God would be with us, and we now have the ability, by God's grace, to, to cling to him. The angel tells Joseph, to call him Jesus. Yahweh saves, for he will save his people from their sins. He's called, also we see, fulfillment of what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 7, as he talks about God's salvation. Even in, in Isaiah 7, it's in the context of this physical danger the people of, of Judah face. He says, look, even in the midst of this danger, Emmanuel, God is with us, and so Jesus is coming as a fulfillment of that. God is with us. God comes. He's ever near and ever present. That brings us to the third thing that I want us to meditate upon this Christmas morning. He came here to bring us to there, to bring us to there. Now, I want us to think about this this morning. When we say that God has saved us, To be with him, to take us to heaven, to to be with him. Where is that? We know where we are now. We know that we couldn't approach God on our own. And so we know that God came here. And we know that he's bringing us to there. but, But where is there? Where are we going? Well, first of all, look at Hebrews chapter 12 and look at where we're not going. Look at where we're not going. We're not going to where we were in Exodus 19. He says, "You've not come to what may be touched—a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and this and and a tempest, the sound of a trumpet and a voice." Whose words may the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, they could not endure the order that was given if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, "I tremble with fear." In other words, you're, you haven't been taken to a place in which you continue to be separated from God. and it's not because God is less holy, but but now you are no longer in this place in which you are separated from God. that's not where there is. Yes, there is where God is holy, but it, it, you're being taken to a place where you also have the ability to stand before God. He goes on, he talks about where that place is, and I want you to notice, there's, there's, there's seven things here or so about where we're taken to, but I want you to just kind of lump them into to four, kind of four general truths about where the there is, how these places are, are superior to where we were in Exodus 19. So kind of four, four things about where we're being taken to. Number one, this place is a place where worship is beyond comprehension. Look at, again, what the writer of Hebrews says. It says, you're coming to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, you're, you're, taking, you're being taken to this place in which there are, are, are angels, these angelic beings. Our peers in this place we're being taken to are people who have the ability to worship. You and I are currently, uh, no offense to one another, surrounded by people who don't know how to worship perfectly. Our, our peers in worship uh, sometimes are lacking we are being taken to there, a place where, number one, our, our ability to worship is going to be beyond comprehension. The angels are, are those beings that are engaged in worship from the beginning of time and continue today. Uh, we see in Revelation chapter 5, John says, I looked and I heard around the throne and the, living, and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down in worship. Now, you and I currently are are intellectually limited in our ability to to comprehend the God who we are called to worship. And we come together on a Sunday morning, and our our worship is is constrained by by who we are. My thoughts are not with God the way that they ought to be, that they're limited and And, you know, I'm around people who are limited, and you're around me who, again, is limited. And yet we're going to be someday in the presence of those who have the ability to to know and worship, or or who have the ability to worship God without error. Everything they say about God is true. Those are going to be our peers. Those are going to be the people that God is, is bringing us to worship him with. It's an amazing thing to accomplish. To contemplate. We can't rightly envision heavenly worship because we're so bound by who we are, who where we are in, in, in the present. It's also a place, secondly, where other not just angelic beings are and worship is beyond comprehension we're also going to be we're also being taken to a place where other believers are and we're no longer constrained by sin in other words not only am i intellectually limited in my ability to worship i'm morally limited I'm constrained by 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 being fallen and by failing to to live rightly but, but what do we see here we're being taken not to Mount Zion, not to Exodus nineteen, but we're coming or I'm sorry, not to Mount Sinai, not to Exodus nineteen, but to Mount Zion, this this heavenly Jerusalem. And it says in this place, not only are there angels, but it says there's also the church, the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. It says, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Right now you and I are righteous, and we're not righteous on the basis of our own works. We're righteous on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ and we've received that righteousness through faith and yet we're still tempted to, to live as we used to be, right? Our salvation has not been fully realized yet. We still live as, as righteous sinners. I'm, I'm still not made perfect yet and yet someday I will be but right now I'm constrained by sin. I come in on a, on a Sunday morning and as I sit down, I'm, I'm thinking about a million different things. Even when I, th- I think I'm fully engaged in worship, I'm, I'm not engaged in worship in the way that I should be. I'm, I'm thinking about other things, and my, my heart's desire isn't fully set upon the Lord. I don't, I'm not loving him. Even at, even at my, my best, I'm not loving him with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. I'm not loving you as I love myself. I, I'm, I'm failing. I come in, I sit down, and I'm, I'm thinking about Other things besides the Lord, I'm I'm worried about my kids. Are they paying attention? I'm worried about, um, you know, if I missed my cue, am I supposed to be up there right now? Uh, Do I have my notes? Where's my Bible? I'm just thinking about a million things and not valuing God the way that I ought to. I'm, I'm constrained. I'm restricted in my worship. But someday, where 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 is God bringing me to? God is bringing me to a place where my peers in worship are the angels, and where I am no longer constrained by sin, and you are no longer constrained by sin either. I'm around people like like David, but no longer am I around David who has struggled with with murder and 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 lust and those. But I'm around David, the, the worshipper. I'm no longer with uh, Joseph and and his. Uh, failures I'm, but i'm, I'm joseph the, the righteous made perfect i'm no longer around peter and the, peter the sinner but i'm around peter the saint i'm around those who god has made righteous and perfect not just righteous positionally but but given christ righteousness now made perfect without the restraints of sin i there is no way no way that i could get to a place like that on my own i couldn't get there God came here to bring me to a place like that. We see heaven is not only a the presence of God is not only a place where the angels are going to be with us where we worship beyond comprehension, a place where believers are no longer constrained, restricted by sin, but a third thing we see about where we're taken is we're taken to a place where God, where God is, and where God reigns supreme, where God reigns supreme and where He Himself is. A great question that people sometimes have, have asked as they talk about the gospel and they talk about heaven. Would heaven be heaven if it had everything else except God? In other words, if you go to heaven and the streets of gold and the tree of life and all the, the saints, would it be heaven if you could go to that place, no more tears, those sorts of things, but but God not be there? And of course, the answer is no. We're being taken to a place that we could not get to, and this place is a place where God himself is. This is the essence of the gospel. First Peter 3, verse 18 says, Christ also suffered once for sins The righteous suffered for the unrighteous. Now, why did he do this? What's the essence of the gospel message? He did it, Peter says, to bring us to God. That's that's the whole point here. He did it to bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And this place where God is, is a place where God reigns supreme. Revelation 21 says... And I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is describing the heavenly city, for its its temple is the, the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. We are being taken to there. And what is there... There is a place where worship is beyond comprehension. There is a place where we worship without the restriction of sin. There is a place where God is and God reigns supreme. And there, finally, is a place where we have the right to be because Jesus has purchased our place there with his own blood. Again, the writer of Hebrews says... We're being taken to this place, and and who else is there? and We're being taken, verse 24 of Hebrews 12, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. What was this new covenant made in? And it's made in Jesus' blood, the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Where are we being taken to? We're being taken to a place where we have a right to be, not because of who we are, but because Jesus himself has purchased a place for us there. You ever been in a place where you felt like you, you didn't belong? Like a really fancy dinner? I, I've been there before. You know, you sit down and you're kind of looking around. You're like, boy, I, I am so outclassed here. I hope no one asks me any questions. I hope I don't embarrass myself. You're watching other people to see how they act. You sit down at the table and there are there are more Uh, Utensils around that plate than you have in your entire drawer at home, and you know I don't. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to talk. I don't. I, I don't. I don't. I should not be here. This. This. This isn't right. If there's, if you and I could suddenly, right now, apart from any change that God would work within us, if we could suddenly find ourselves in the presence of God. If we find ourselves there right now without any change, we would certainly be aware that we have no business being there. What's what's the miracle miracle of, of the Christmas story? It's Emmanuel. It's God is with us. It's that God came here. And that God came here as a baby lived a perfect and sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead by the power of God, and now through faith in him we can receive the righteousness that he has and be transformed. And therefore, as we appear before God, we appear not as those who have no right to be there, but as those who can boldly approach the eternal throne and say, hey, I'm here not on the basis of my own works, but I'm here on the basis of the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, and I have the ability by your grace to approach you. No longer I don't need to, to cower as I think about this, this mountain in your holiness. I now have by your grace and by your great gift the ability to come before you. That is where there is. Now with with that understanding, we couldn't get there, so he came here to bring us to there. As we understand what there is, let me just give you a couple Christmas thoughts, kind of three Christmas excitements. Far from being a, a helpless baby who presents no, no threat to us, Jesus as the the Christmas baby comes as, as the Christmas king who challenges our life, right? There should, first of all, be excitement as we think about Christmas past. As we think about Christmas past in and, and Exodus nineteen, there should be excitement as we think where I where I was, I am no longer, where I, I was and how I used to live. No longer do I have to live that way. No longer do I have to worship the, the idols that I worshiped before I came to God. And we, we talked last night about Christmas idols even that we still are tempted to worship. The the idol of ease or the idol of perfection, the ideal of my the idol of my, my family acting a certain way, the idol of food turning out a certain way. No longer do I have to live worshiping idols now. By God's grace, he's he's come here, and and now now I have the ability to be in relationship with God. I I can rejoice as I think about Christmas past. I can rejoice as I think about Christmas present. Right now, you and I are, are in an age in which we have recognized, I hope all of us have recognized the the authority and the reign of King Jesus, and we've placed our trust and our confidence in him, and yet we are not to Christmas future yet, but right now in Christmas present, we have the ability to think about Christmas future and be in relationship with God. My wife and I are uh, two of the, the cruel parents who have told our children we're not going to celebrate Christmas until later this afternoon, and so our children, if you see them uh, walking around the halls looking a little twitchy, uh, that's our fault, but you know that feeling of, of being a kid, right? And, and you look underneath the Christmas tree, and, and there are the presents, and there is the present with your name on it, and, 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 and you know what's coming. You kind of have the suspicion even of, of what's in that package. And then there's that moment where the, the packages are all passed around, and you sit on the couch, and the package is placed on your lap. Remember that feeling as a kid, right? In, in our family, I was the oldest of four children, and we opened presents from youngest to oldest. And so we'd, I'd watch as my my sweet little sister started and just kind of slowly unwrapped each little, and saving the paper for, I don't know, like our future grandchildren or something, and setting it aside, and was like, just open the present. That's where we are right now, brothers and sisters. We're, we're there, we're on the couch, we've got the, the present in our lap, and yet it hasn't been fully realized yet. We know what it is, we know what's coming, and yet we haven't fully received all of it yet, and and how do, how should we respond to that? It's not, baby Jesus isn't some cute little baby, some cuddly baby. That says, oh, some, you know, someday I'll think about that or I can kind of do whatever I want. No, he's a king. And, and the fact of what I know is coming in the future affects me presently. I should rejoice in that. We should be excited this morning as we think about that. We should be excited as we think about Christmas future. As we think about the full realization of being able to, to be taken there. Taken there to where God is, to where the saints are, to where the angels are, where we're no longer restricted in our ability to know and worship and love him fully. We couldn't get there. We couldn't get to Christmas future on our own. We couldn't get to heaven on our own. So he came here to bring us to there. That is a life-changing, present-altering, future-altering reality We worship through our faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the ability we have to come into relationship with you through him. We pray that by your grace, we would continue to be molded into the people you've created us to be, that we'd worship you fully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.